We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Today we'll talk with Carol Kent. She's the co-author of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. We're also going to talk with John Schneider. He's executive director of Nursing Home Ministries. We'll talk about the challenge he and other uh, ministers are facing uh, in their effort to reach out to and minister to seniors in care facilities. And as you probably know, most are on lockdown. We'll talk with him about that and how we can pray and what we might do to come alongside and help. Well, today is Maundy Thursday. Good Friday, we know, and Easter most certainly. But what is Maundy Thursday? Well, it is the Thursday before Easter. It's believed to be the day when Jesus celebrated his final Passover with his disciples. Now, most notably, that Passover meal was when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples in an extraordinary display of humility. And we don't have time to go into that today, but that alone is a significant example of Christ's humility. He then commanded them to do the same for each other. That's where it gets a little more challenging. Well, his mandate is commemorated on Maundy Thursday. Maundy being the shortened uh, form of the uh, monditum, which is a Latin word, That means command. It was on the Thursday of Christ's final week before being crucified and resurrected that he said this commandment to his disciples. Jesus and his disciples had just shared what was known as the Last Supper, and he was washing their feet when he said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, we might miss that significant message unless we take some time to stop and remember the events of Maundy Thursday. What was the new commandment? Well, for one thing, it raised the definition of love to a whole new and higher standard. Jesus sacrificially met his followers' deepest needs, that of new spiritual life and the forgiveness of sins, and he even loved his enemies, and he calls us to show love to those that we don't, uh, who don't rather appear to deserve it. Well, just as Jesus loved sinners to the end, or to the max, as it's recorded in the 13th chapter of John, first verse, when he had nothing to gain from them, so must we. The Bible says that there was nothing attractive about sinful mankind that drew him to love us. We didn't appeal to him in any way that we would perhaps understand. He loved us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, verse 8. Salvation is not only a wonderful gift that protects us from the penalty that we deserve, the penalty of sin, Romans 6.23 points out that the work of Christ also gives us new life. It grants us spiritual strength, motivates godly action in those who believe. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. 
Titus, the second chapter, verses 11 through 14. And while scripture doesn't forbid us to commemorate days like Maundy Thursday, the main question is, are we observing Christ's new command to love, especially those who deserve that love the least, at least from our perspective, from our vantage point? In 1 John verse 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, many churches observe Maundy Thursday with a communion service and a foot washing ceremony. These are traditions that help Christians reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and his commandment for us to love and serve others. And today we would do well to remember the central theme of his commandment to us on Maundy Thursday. A few more verses to help put that into perspective from Luke, the 22nd chapter, starting in verse 27. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. John, the 13th chapter, verses 2 through 17. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now, it's very interesting in the first uh, verse, in the second verse of this series of uh, verses, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist and he washed the disciples' feet. It was because he knew precisely who he was, what God had called and appointed him to do, where he was returning, that he could confidently wash the disciples' feet who were not worthy of such humility from the Savior of the world. And finally, Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Oh, what celebration we should have, whether or not it's in our living room or our driveway or in our car. We won't be together, but we can celebrate this great good news of what Jesus has done for us. 
Well, as mentioned, we are not going to have the opportunity to gather together. We will not be in one another's physical presence. But Jesus' last supper with his disciples was a Jewish Passover. It was a meal always commemorated in person. Passover was a pilgrimage festival. It meant that Jews traveled from all over uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, that original Passover was God's opening act of redemption. Israelites put sacrificial lamb's blood on their doorposts to be spared uh, from judgment and to um, and ate hurriedly uh, meals from a roasted uh, the roasted meat with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Then God led his liberated people out of Egypt through the wilderness to worship at Mount Sinai. At first they worshiped remotely. God descended onto the mountain in a terrible thundercloud, and Moses constructed a crowd-controlled barrier to keep people from the deadly judgment of a holy God just by being in his presence. But God lifted that barrier with a covenant, and Moses read out God's commands and dashed sacrificial blood on the altar and on all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. The sacrifice worked because God infused that ritual with meaning and power. And according to Leviticus, blood symbolized the force of life. Therefore, the blood and the fatty portions of sacrificial animals ritually applied to the altar as God prescribed achieved atonement. The food and drink flanked Israel's founding moments, marked God's mercy and presence among his people. At his last supper, Jesus sealed the new covenant with his own sacrificial blood. He presided over the table with the disciples and retold the story, old, the old story, but with a new twist. Holding the bread and the drink, he recited Exodus 24, 8 to make sense of his pending death. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. Matthew includes for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus himself became the sacrifice of whom his disciples feasted and shared a meal, a physical um, mediation of God's new redemption. His explanation of the Passover ritual infused his actions with new meaning and the power to transform sinners into a community of saints, of which we all are. We will be socially distanced this year as we remember the events leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, the crucifixion itself, and his blessed resurrection but I hope we will do that faithfully and you take advantage of opportunities to be together online. I'll mention some resources if you don't have a church home later in the program. But let's not neglect the gathering of ourselves together, even if it is virtually, as we remember this highest and holiest of seasons for believers and followers of Jesus Christ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this Monday, Thursday. Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Carol Kent, co-author of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. And trust me, it so often does. Taking a look at some of the day's headlines, Vice President Mike Pence told Hannity on Wednesday night that the U.S. will ask tough questions of the World Health Organization over its handling of the coronavirus pandemic after the Global Health Agency's director warned President Trump and other world leaders against politicizing the outbreak. This is a president who believes in accountability, and the American taxpayers provide tens of millions of dollars to the WHO, Pence said. And as the president said yesterday, I suspect we will continue to do that, but that doesn't mean that at the right uh, time in the future, we aren't going to ask the tough questions about how the World, Trade, World Health Organization rather, could have been so wrong. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced new coronavirus guidance on Wednesday, saying some essential workers who've been exposed to COVID-19 but are not showing symptoms can return to work. 
Each worker would need to take his or her temperature twice a day for signs of fever and wear a face mask at work and out in public to prevent the spread of the virus. Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC, said at Wednesday's White House coronavirus briefing. Redfield said the guidance was an effort to really begin to get those critical workers back into the workforce so that we won't have workers shortages in these critical industries, including first responders, healthcare workers, food supply workers and more. The CDC's announcement came after the number of coronavirus cases in the U.S. surpassed 400,000 on Wednesday. At a virtual town hall Wednesday, just hours after Bernie Sanders dropped out of the presidential race, Joe Biden assumed the mantle of his party's presumptive nominee. And at a separate virtual fundraiser, the former vice president suggested that one-time rival Kamala Harris may play a big role in his campaign going forward. Streaming live it's the, to some 1,621 viewers on YouTube, he praised Sanders during the town hall for being a persistent and passionate voice for progress and also lauded the independent U.S. senator from Vermont for energizing millions of supporters. At a virtual fundraiser earlier in the day, Harris appeared on video from Washington and blasted President Trump as a complete failure and asserted Biden would be the right president at a time when people need to have hope, need to have faith. Just last year, when uh, Harris was still a presidential candidate, she publicly accused Biden at a presidential debate of supporting what she suggested were racist school busing policies. But politics, well, it forgives all things when it's in one's best interest. Biden responded in kind, praising Harris for running a heck of a, I'm paraphrasing, a campaign and reminding attendees that we go back a long way, a reference to Harris' friendship with the Biden's late son, Bo. Harris was California's attorney general at the same time Bo Biden held the post in Delaware. Seemingly uh, teasing the running mate chatter, Biden added, I'm so lucky to have you uh, be a part of this partnership going forward. Working together, we can make a great deal of progress. I'm coming for you, kid. And he did also say there are 11 women on the list of potential vice presidential running mates. Well, the fact that countries with deplorable human rights records routinely win elections to the uh, UN Human Rights Council indicates that the majority of the world's governments, as evidenced from their votes in the United Nations General Assembly, see no problem with electing human rights violators to the UN's highest human rights body. For all these reasons, the Trump administration rightfully decided to leave the Human Rights Council in 2018 after its effort to reform the seriously flawed body were rebuffed by other governments. How many outrages uh, must be committed before other governments join the United States in recognizing the dire need for reform in the U.N. Human Rights Council is an open question. And after resisting weeks of pressure from officials and legislators uh, for firmer action, Japanese Prime Minister Abe on Monday declared a state of emergency for Tokyo and other um, six other uh, prefectures, as well as announced a $1 trillion economic stimulus package. Abe has been reluctant to issue the edict to avoid further damage to a national economy already reeling from business closures and the cancellation of the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympic Games. The directive was um, will last at least a month, but does not impose a lockdown. Instead, measures include a stay-at-home request with no penalties for violations. President Trump is preparing to announce as soon as this week a second smaller coronavirus task 
Force aimed specifically at combating the economic ramifications of the virus and focus on reopening the nation's economy. According to four people familiar with the plans, hopefully it does not include the environmentalist dream of a carbon dioxide tax, uh, Red State points out. Meanwhile, a look at uh, how much money Americans didn't lose in sports betting includes about $8.5 billion for March Madness. Mitch McConnell yesterday said, tomorrow morning I'll ask unanimous consent to pass standalone emergency funding for the hugely popular Paycheck Protection Program that is saving small business jobs as we speak. As the rest of the CARES Act continues to come online, this key part is already low on funds. And the National Center for Medical Intelligence Issues has issued a rare rebuttal of network news. Uh, This after ABC News claims as far back as late November, U.S. intelligence officials were warning that a contagion was sweeping through China's Wuhan region changing the platforms of life and businesses and posing a threat to the population, according to four sources briefed on the secret reporting. Well, the National Center for Medical Intelligence responded, As a matter of practice, the National Center for Medical Intelligence does not comment publicly on specific intelligence matters. However, in the interest of transparency during this current public health crisis, we can confirm that media reporting about the existence and release of National Center for Medical Intelligence coronavirus-related product assessment in November of 2019 is not correct. No such NCMI product exists. Mm. Well, there are three possibilities. U.S. intelligence was aware of an outbreak in Wuhan large enough to disrupt daily life and business before the local government was. Two, the scale of the Chinese cover-up was uh, of what happened initially in Wuhan is significantly greater than we have been led to believe. Or three, ABC News got a big story very wrong. Because if ABC is right, everything we have been told by the medical community, the news media, and the Chinese and international health authorities to date about the timeline is wrong. Frank Lutz, commenting on the same, says journalists need to care about getting the facts more than they care about getting Trump. Meanwhile, CBS News, embarrassed for what they called an editing mistake by showing an Italian hospital when talking about overcrowded hospitals in New York, did it again. Same footage, this time calling it Pennsylvania. It wasn't accurate. And the World Health Organization chief is blaming some criticism on racism as we single out Taiwan, a foe of China, and call for the world to refrain from politicizing the pandemic. Rich Lowry, commenting on the same, says, well, Dr. Ted Rose has finally done it. He has summoned all his moral courage in the midst of this crisis and leveled a blistering attack on moral on um, Taiwan, rather, the country that has perhaps best handled the coronavirus. What a cowardly hack. The United Nations has yet to take up the pandemic, and little is expected from them when they do. While the squad is demanding illegal immigrants get in on the next stimulus package, Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib issued a proposal calling for the federal government to immediately issue debit cards preloaded with $2,000 for every person in the U.S., including for those who have been here for as little as three months. The cards would be recharged with $1,000 monthly until one year after the end of the coronavirus crisis. Wow. A bill in California would keep parents from knowing when their children get abortions or transgender hormones. That's being pushed by Planned Parenthood and Democrats in the legislature, again in the state of California. And Chicago has seen 238 inmates, 115 staff infected with the coronavirus as prisons nationwide see uh, the attack increase as well. A nursing home in Southern California where five employees and 34 residents are infected was evacuated with uh, when much of the staff failed to show up to work.
and a few coronavirus odds and ends. A California county is threatening $1,000 fines for citizens not wearing face masks in public. In Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, Mayor Vi Lyles and North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, both Democrats, could decide to cancel the Republican convention set for Charlotte in late August. And Andrew McCarthy is among those questioning the sudden revision of the coronavirus death predictions. In poverty-stricken areas of the world, such as Rio de Janeiro, people either work or starve. Social distancing simply is not possible for them. And on this day in history, 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrenders his army to the Union um, General Ulysses S. Grant in Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. 1913, um, the first game is played at Ebbets Field, the newly built home of the Brooklyn Dodgers, who lose to the Philadelphia Phillies 1-0. 1939, singer Marian Anderson performs a concert at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. after being denied the use of the Constitution Hall by the Daughters of the American Revolution. 1942, on this date, during World War II, some 75,000 Philippine and American defenders on Bataan surrendered to Japanese troops who forced the prisoners into what became known as the Bataan Death March. Thousands die or are killed en route. 1959, NASA presents its first seven astronauts, Scott Carpenter, Gordon Cooper, John Glenn, Gus Grissom, Wally Shearer, uh, Alan Shepard, and Donald Slayton. On this day in history, 1965, the newly built Astrodrome in Houston features its first baseball game, an exhibition between the Astros and the New York Yankees with President Lyndon Johnson in attendance. 1968, funeral services, private and public, are held for Martin Luther King Jr. at the Ebenezer Baptist Church and Morehouse College in Atlanta, five days after the civil rights leader was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with Carol Kent, co-author of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Glad to have you with us on the Georgine Rice Show. Well, life isn't perfect. I think we can all agree on that. And undoubtedly, every couple will experience, well, outside circumstances and stressors that can deteriorate and weaken the marriage, if, uh, if not destroy the marriage. And whether it's a child's rebellion, infertility, chronic illness, or a financial tragedy, or maybe just sheltering in place, even couples who've been together for decades must be able to weather those storms. But how do you do it? Well, in their new book, Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst, two longtime couples and authors, Carol and Jean Kent, Cindy and David Lambert, offer practical insights, real-life illustrations, and thought-provoking questions to help couples thrive in any situation. Their combined wisdom for facing some of life's most difficult issues enables them to offer guidance on a variety of topics. Well, the uh, Lamberts, Cindy and David, they've been influencing the Christian publishing world for decades, both as editors and as authors. Carol and Jean Kent are founders of Speak Up Ministries, which includes Speak Up Speaker Services, a Christian speakers bureau, Speak Up Conferences, equipping the next generation of speakers and writers, and Speak Up for Hope, a nonprofit organization that benefits inmates and their families. We are delighted to have with us Carol Kent to talk about staying power. Welcome, Carol. Thank you so much, Georgine. It is always a privilege to be on the air with you. Well, that's just what I was going to say. (laughs) Before we start, let me ask you, how are you faring with this new normal and uh, sheltering in place? 
You know, it has absolutely turned our worlds upside down in terms of what we do normally. At this time of year, we're usually traveling every weekend somewhere in the country for a retreat or a conference speaking engagement. And uh, suddenly, with everything put on pause due to COVID-19, we're home. And I think for a lot of marriages, that's happening right now as people are Mm -hmm. sheltering in and some of them are homeschooling or working from home or maybe being laid off. And so that puts stress on a marriage. So Gina and I are trying to help people build a stronger marriage when uh, all of that's happening seems to be pulling us apart or in too many different directions to uh, keep our heads on straight. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a very timely conversation. What motivated you to take up this subject? Uh, You are two married couples. My husband and I were going to celebrate in exactly one month, save one day, our 38th wedding anniversary. What motivated you to take up this subject at this time? Well, the Lamberts um, are friends of ours, and we both had situations where we said, you know, we've had this um, situation where something came from the outside, not the inside of our marriage, Mm -hmm. that disrupted things and caused us to have to make new choices in order to have a happy married life. And in our case, many of your listeners know of our journey with our son, who uh, was a married a previously married woman with two little girls, and he shot and killed the uh, wife, or I should say the husband of uh, his wife, and uh, he wound up getting convicted of murder, and he is serving a life without the possibility of parole sentence here in the state of Florida. And uh, we did an upheaval. We, this is our only child. Uh, we wanted to be able to visit our son, and so we moved to Florida because we could do what we do from any airport. But our lives were turned inside out. And in the Lambert's case, our co-authors, they had a son who was drug addicted and had a little daughter, and they wound up raising their granddaughter. They were the grandparents, but they were raising the granddaughter. And as we were talking one day, we thought, you know, there are a whole lot of marriage books out there about the wrong choices we make, adultery, pornography, those kinds of things that are the bad choices that come from within a marriage that destroy it. But there are very few, if any, books out there about those outside things that happen to us, like uh, hitting a horrific financial challenge or raising an autistic or Down syndrome child. Or you might be in a situation where you you lose a child to death and uh, the way you and your spouse cope with it just is an upheaval to your marriage. Mm -hmm. And we just started to list all of the different ways those outside forces come in. It might be caring for aging parents, or it might be having children who come home and they're struggling with gender issues. And you think, how am I going to make my marriage stronger instead of allow these things, allowing these things to make us weaker? And uh, we began to write down what we felt would be helpful principles for couples who were reasonably happy, who had a a situation come in from the outside that tried to wreak havoc in their marriages. And so we really got excited about putting a book proposal together and writing about something that we felt would give hands-on help and hope to couples who are struggling, never realizing this book would come out in the middle of a Mm. global pandemic when couples can really be struggling. Absolutely. Once again, the book we're talking about is titled Staying Power, 
And the subtitle is uh, appropriately named Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. The book is published by Ravel and currently available. Now, for those who have been married for a length of time, as my husband and I have, um, this is obviously a helpful book. But for those who have yet to face an assault from the outside on their marriage relationship for newly married couples. Is this also a resource for them to anticipate challenges that may come? I think it's very helpful, Georgine. I think a whole lot of young people who are getting married today have watched so many marriages, including some of their parents' marriages, end in divorce. And as Christian couples, they want to make sure that they have a strong, firm foundation. And we built within this book exercises and questions that couples can do with each other to better understand the stressors in their marriages. Uh, What is it uh, that would be a trigger word that would really uh, not sit well with you from your spouse? What are those anger issues or unforgiveness issues that can give you a challenge? And so I believe this book would be extremely helpful, not only to individual couples working through it, but in small group studies for couples. And in these days of social distancing, studies can be done online with Zoom, and it's been exciting to see how creative God's people are as they learn how to connect and discuss with each other with still practicing the suggested social distancing. Yeah, yeah. Now, your first chapter is titled, We're in this together, dot, 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 or not. How important is it that you've made uh, a firm decision that you're going to remain together, that divorce isn't part of the vocabulary or uh, separating from one another isn't part of the, the plan if things don't go as planned? Well, that is such an important first step, Georgine, and we immediately go into some of the pre-decisions that we can Mm -hmm. make as a couple. Jean and I like to call those the non-negotiables. And the bottom line for us is even if he's getting on the last thread of my last nerve, which (laughs) does happen occasionally, even though he's a good husband, uh, the pre-decisions help you to start from a basis of knowing, okay, I know I love this man, I know he loves me, And I know even if he chose unwise words when uh, we were having a discussion or even if he disagrees with my expert opinion, can you believe that would ever happen with us, Uh, that the bottom line is that we do want this marriage to work. And so you begin to say, because I care for this person and I know perhaps his tone was not what made me feel affirmed or loved, doesn't mean his heart toward me is negative or bad. And so I'm going to choose ahead of time to know he still loves me, and we are in this together, and we will figure out a way to make it work. And as we began to list some of those other predecisions, one of those was that I will request I will learn and honor and respect the advice of my spouse. Now, Georgine, you may not know that I am the firstborn of six preacher's kids. Do you know what that makes me? (laughs) Bossy. I am a bossy, (laughs) controlling woman, and I am admitting that to all of your listeners today, which is hard. My face is red. But that means that it's, it's much easier for me to talk than it is to listen. And uh, sometimes my husband doesn't appreciate that. And so one of the things that we did was to figure out the, a way we can honor each other is with the predecision 
that when we are facing a, a decision that needs to be made or we're talking about the future or maybe a situation that involves our children or maybe a financial decision that we will ask, actually ask for the advice of our spouse and we will listen and we'll, we will respect what that person has to say without jumping all over them with our own words and our own opinion. And uh, that has been a lesson, a uh, hard one by me, but it has been one that has been a great decision for my marriage. Oh, and, uh, and then I'd love to honor my husband with this one. Uh, one of my predecisions was I will serve my spouse sacrificially. And uh, I watched my husband do that for me. And Georgine, when our son was first arrested, I felt like I could hardly breathe. When you have an only child who's been a stellar student and has always uh, made right choices, and suddenly this child, uh, due to his fears for his stepchildren, for their safety, shoots and kills their father, uh, that turned your life upside down. And that was certainly true in my life. I there were times when I felt like I couldn't even pick myself up off the floor, much less answer the door or respond as I normally did, and I'm used to being a multitasker. And uh, one of the, the kindest things that Gene did with, for me was that he would make coffee for me every morning, and I am a coffee lover, and I know I'm talking to some who are right now. And he would bring me my first cup of coffee in bed in the morning, and without words, he would put his hand on my arm, and on very special days, I would sometimes get a foot rub with that cup of coffee, and without words, he was saying, honey, we are in the most mm. difficult challenge we have ever been in in our marriage. This is crisis level, and we could let it break us, or we can let it draw us together. And with that touch, he was saying, I love you. And no matter what happens, we will face this together. We will get through this. We will give our son the support he needs. We will love the victim's family and try to encourage them as well as our own family. And uh, we are in this together. together. And, you know, that act of service touched me deeply, and it did increase our bond tremendously and kept us from lashing out at each other. We're talking about staying power, building a stronger marriage when life sends its worth. We need to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation with Carol Kent. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Carol Kent. She, along with her husband, Gene, and Cindy and David Lambert, co-authored Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. These, these are the things that assault marriage from the outside but have the potential to devastate a commitment that has been made. And it's such a timely and unique book because it deals with those things um, that we don't anticipate and that we're not directly uh, responsible for. You also write about um, uh, making the next right choice. What do you mean by that when we are uh, assaulted by uh, some outside influence that threatens our marriage relationship? Well, so many times when we are feeling emotionally distraught, we have trouble making decisions, and usually there are a lot of decisions to make. I know in our case, we needed an attorney. 
we needed to figure out if we were going to try to move to Florida to be closer to Jason. I mean, those are major decisions because of the amount of money and time and uh, personal energy and, and emotions that are involved in them. And uh, we really initially got this advice from a man by the name of Claire DeGraff. He says this, that when you don't know what to do, just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do and commit to it immediately in the next 10 seconds before you change your mind. And Georgine, sometimes I think we forget that when we are in a Christian marriage where uh, both parties in that marriage are in a, a relationship with Christ, that means the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He is our teacher. He is our guide. He is our comforter. Uh, he's our, our wisdom giver. And so we sometimes forget that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. And often he's already nudging us in the direction of making the next right choice. So rather than spending three weeks with the pros and the cons and agonizing and, and going on and on over a decision, think about what, what do you think Jesus would do if he were in this very situation? And then ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you and make that choice quickly rather than waiting too long. And sometimes when we, we drag our feet, it just takes forever. It makes us more upset. And then move in the direction that you sense God leading you in. And that is extremely helpful for couples if they can commit to doing that as quickly as possible. In Staying Power, you write about um, anger and actually list several positive uses for anger. Anger has the potential to destroy or disrupt, but there's another side to it. Talk about anger in the midst of the challenges that outside tragedy might bring into a marriage. Well, with anger, you it's, it's as if you're that person who says, you know, all my emotions are on the table. This is what upsets me tremendously, and I'm going to get it all out. So as the spouse who is hearing the anger coming from the other party, we can either choose to be offended by that or we can say, you know what, I'm going to practice active listening and I'm going to respond to what I hear my spouse saying and even repeat back to them what I believe they're saying. And uh, often it helps us to understand where they're coming from a whole lot more. And uh, anger means that you're not hiding with thinking things you're not talking about. And uh, that's very beneficial uh, to a marriage. And it also uh, can teach us something about who we are in the middle of realizing are we going to have empathy for what is causing the anger of our spouse or are we just going to say you explode so easily and I'm sick and tired of this and walk out of the room. Now um, sometimes when there's anger expressed as uh, a person with my personality I can go into the silent treatment like okay you blew up I am offended, and so I'm just not even going to respond to anything you ask or say. And, uh, Georgine, I'll be real frank here and ask you a bold question. Have mm-hmm. you ever been not speaking to your husband so long you forgot why you weren't speaking? <laughs> it was just the point that mattered. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I was going to say, you're probably much more perfect than I am. Oh, no. <laughs> there have been days when I think, Carol, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> Yes. You, you're, it's just 
like you're trying to make a point and you don't even remember what the point was. <laughs> and so one of the things that helped Jean and me is that uh, after Jason was arrested and we had moved to Florida, we started to walk together. And uh, so our goal on any at-home day is to walk three or four miles together. It takes us about an hour. And we had started making those what we call prayer walks. And obviously we'll chit-chat about what's going on in our day, but then we will start to pray. And I might say, Lord, thank you for the beauty of your creation right now as I look at the sky and I see the clouds. Thank you for for this beautiful world you made. And Jean might say, Lord, would you just bless Jason as he's in the maximum security prison right now? Would you give him a divine encounter with one of the inmates or one of the volunteers or corrections officers today? And I might say, Lord, would you bless Jean's 91-year-old mama who's feeling lonely and afraid right now? And we'll go back and forth like that. Mm -hmm. Now, people observing us might think we look a little crazy, but we are talking to God, but we're also listening to each other. And when you hear what your spouse is praying about, you know what matters to them. You know what they're feeling angry about or what they're struggling with. And we have discovered over these now at least three to four years that we have been doing this that it has bonded us as a couple It has helped us grow closer to God because we're talking to him together, and it has created the springboard for some very productive discussions about making the next right choice that we've been talking about in this book. So it really comes down to uh, allowing that communication and even anger expressed to be a catalyst for talking to each other about the things that matter to us, and then making choices about how we can come closer together instead of allowing anger to pull us apart. Yeah. Now, we have about three minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about forgiveness, which you describe as the glue that holds a lot of marriages together, and uh, your encouragement that, that couples take time out when they're going through a crisis. Can you speak to each of those Oh, absolutely. One of the things that that is important is to keep short accounts. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we don't allow the sun to go down on uh, our feelings of anger, it's so important. We need to apologize and talk about what happened and give forgiveness quickly to our partners. And what Jean and I are focused on right now is to come to a place of being what we call unoffendable. Meaning, Mm. once again, getting back to we're in this together, that we love each other and we know when we raise our voices, it isn't because we hate that person or we just can't stand being in the same room together. It's that we're upset about something. And so I'm going to choose to not let his uh, loud tone of voice offend me. I will choose to practice automatic forgiveness and to say, honey, I know you love me and I know you and we may disagree about this, but let's talk about it and let's pray about it together. One of the things we've done in this book, um, Georgine, is that there are 13 crisis help sheets in the back of the book, about 13 major things that hit a fairly good marriage that are, are practically sucking the life out of you if you allow that to happen. 
And we wanted people to have hands-on help when they need it, websites to go to, uh, books to go to, questions answered. And so we trust that that will be one of the most important parts of this book for every couple who studies it together and uses it as a resource. But as we think of forgiveness, we think of Jesus and all he did for us on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them to those who had placed him there. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And he practiced forgiveness. And we can look to him and find the strength that we need to look our spouses in the face and say, you, you really did hurt my feelings, but I love you, and I forgive you, and I'm sticking with you because we need each other, and we need the Lord, and we are not going to let anything that comes into our lives unexpectedly tear us apart. We belong to each other, and we belong to Jesus. Mm. There's so much more in the book that we won't have time to uh, to cover, but I want to let our listeners know that there are also discussion questions after each chapter. That's very uh, helpful. It's a practical book that is, you're not just going to be better informed, but you'll have tools to help you uh, gain that staying power. Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worth. Carol Kent, it's always a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Georgine. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, so stay with us. When we come back, we'll talk with John Schneider, Executive Director of Nursing Home Ministries, on the challenge of ministering to seniors in care facilities under this pandemic. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, second hour. Glad to have you with us. I think for many of us, as we have observed the trajectory of COVID-19 caused by the coronavirus, our concern for the elderly has grown. We know that they are the most vulnerable population, along with those with underlying conditions. We're hearing that those who are housed in Care facilities are most vulnerable, and just today there were new numbers released for facilities in the state of Oregon where coronavirus has uh, done its work. Well, I wanted to talk with someone who has uh, had an effective ministry uh, in nursing homes uh, for uh, many years. John Schneider is executive director of Nursing Home Ministries, and I so appreciate the ministry in general, but I also imagine there are significant challenges to ministering to those uh, in these care facilities now that we have a, a, a stay uh, at home order and we're not permitted to, to visit those who are in those facilities. So John Schneider, thank you so much for talking with us today. My pleasure as always, Georgine, to be with you. Now, I, I can't even imagine what it must be like to lose access to those individuals that you have been ministering to you and others in nursing home ministries under this circumstance. How, how are you uh, or are you able to reach out to those in care facilities during this pandemic? Yes. Oh, Georgine, you, you can't believe the uh, – we couldn't have in our wildest imaginations, I think, uh, have figured something like this would happen. But mm-hmm. uh, I am I'm really impressed with how our chaplains uh, and many who are in that vulnerable age group uh, themselves uh, – what they're doing and how they've embraced especially uh, social media and and all kinds of creative things when this first began i, I encouraged our chaplains to be as creative as possible and and uh, i'm amazed at what they're doing they're they're phoning their uh, uh just using old phone uh, sending mm-hmm. letters of encouragement uh, e-cards um, 
some chaplains are FaceTiming with the individual residents. And these are people, like you said, that uh, tended to already be ignored, and that has just been amplified. So uh, administrators, uh, almost without uh, exception, have been uh, begging and, and are so uh, welcoming for anything that our chaplains can do. And so uh, others have been uh, doing holding services, uh, virtual services. There have been uh, online services. They've been streaming. Uh, some do concerts. Uh, it's it's just I really believe this is a, a door that God has opened that uh, is reaching more people in our care centers uh, than ever before. We are missing the one-on-one, which is the heart of, of any ministry, but uh, we're reaching people who would not come to a service, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, one particular place that I go to, I've been sending out uh, daily, uh, just daily encouragement memos, and uh, every single resident in the in the care facility gets one. So even if they don't come to the, work, coming to our services every day with their menu, they get a little uh, word of encouragement and uh, and uh, a gospel uh, message, uh, how to find Christ, uh, how to find salvation in Him. And then I, I always include some kind of a little game or a crossword or something that can occupy them for a short period of time that has a biblical basis. So it's just it's just amazing to me how God has opened doors. What the adversary I think is meant for evil, God is is using for good. Well, it is so encouraging to hear you say that. I noted a report just today that in Oregon they confirmed 34 senior care homes in the state um, have now have uh, confirmed cases of um, COVID-19. So you know your heart just goes out to this community of elders. And I think many of us have wondered, is, it, is anyone reaching out to them? Is it possible to do that? And uh, this just encourages my heart. Oh, and, and it's, it's, we, uh, we delivered a, a box of uh, daily devotionals to one facility last week, my wife and I. And we knew we couldn't go in. So we from them and said we had these outside. And while we were standing there, uh, some of our residents were trying to get some fresh air. And they were so excited to see us and waving mm-hmm. and, you know, we miss you and... Uh, Looking so forward to you coming back. Thank you for all that you're doing. And, and it was just, uh, it was heartwarming. Uh, we we were planning, we were hoping, uh, one facility we go to, uh, we were hoping to have uh, Easter services. They had said that we could possibly come in, uh, stand in the hallway, that people could come out and, and uh, sit on chairs outside their doors, stay, you know, distances away. And I would have had to go on all floors and have a service on each floor, which I was more than willing to do and looking forward to it. But... One of the uh, uh, this last week, one of the caregivers uh, tested positive and for COVID nineteen, so that's out. So we can't, mm. we can't do the Easter services either. So, uh, but they are receiving uh, encouragement, and and obviously it's not the not the face to face, and you can't hug them as much as you'd like to. And but uh, God is using it. Oh, absolutely! And to see that you have taken the initiative to reach out, I'm sure uh, certain. Uh, has a real impact on their heart. Now, I know for a lot of uh, ministries, uh, for a lot of the smaller businesses, and I'm not making the comparison, but for many, this is a season of real challenge because funding is not what it uh, what it has been, and that's a challenge moving forward. How has this impacted the ministry in other ways in terms of maintaining your bottom line to continue to minister to seniors in our community? Well, you know, and I think this could be a, an issue. Uh, it hasn't yet. And because and, I think, generally speaking, uh, 
people who give to ministries like this give out of a sense that of a, a desire to follow God's leading and God is 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 directing them to give. Um, and so they're not, you know, generally I don't think Christians uh, give just so they can get a tax write-off. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. give because it's the right thing to do and God's writing that, that way. But uh, I think as, as, as we see the unemployment figures, as people are being laid off their, their jobs, I think it, it's just realistic to expect that, uh, you know, support for these kind of ministries will suffer. But again, uh, we have seen this in the past, maybe not to this degree in many years, but God has always been faithful. God has always provided, and, and there are always those folks who are, who are faithful and who, who give to support ministries such as ours in these days. That's and I would really encourage uh, your listeners that if they are supporting a, a missionary or a, uh, a, uh, a Christian organization, that they, uh, as much as they are able, to uh, continue to support them during these times because they're so dependent on, on uh, the, the goodness and the graciousness mm-hmm. of God's people. Now, how can we pray for you and nursing home ministries and seniors in our communities? I, I, my greatest prayer is that uh, our chaplains not get discouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like it is for the residents when they don't see someone I know uh, when I can't see the people, and I, I speak to them regularly, but when I can't see them and you can't be there, I kind of, we sense kind of what the Apostle Paul felt when he was writing to his uh, churches and how he longed to, that he could be there personally and, and encourage them face-to-face. Uh, and when that's not possible, I think uh, the adversary would say, well, you're not doing any good, you're, you're not really helping anybody. That uh, they would just be encouraged that the efforts that they are making are... Uh, even in these days, are making a difference. So continue to uphold them and that, that God would encourage them mm-hmm. uh, and that God would help us to be creative. Um, we are very fortunate, I think, and blessed to live in a time when uh, these various things are are available to us to, to make contact. And you can still see them, even though you're not there, you can you can see them. Uh, I have had, just had a story today of, uh, of uh, one of our supporters who asked me, what can I do? And I said, well, how, you know, do, can you write letters? And she said she'd be willing to write letters. And she wrote, uh, uh, I gave her a list of names of some individuals that might appreciate a letter, and she recognized the name, one of the names. And she said, I, I, she happens to be in the medical field. She said, I ministered to her husband uh, just a couple of years ago in his last days. And she hadn't had any contact with this woman in, in the meantime, and she wrote a letter uh, and they're making contact once again. So uh, just sometimes even the smallest bits of encouragement help, and I would really encourage your listeners to, to pray for, and I know this is true for pastors as well. Uh, I know pastors whose who's literally their hearts are breaking because they can't have, make contact with, uh, yeah. with their uh, parishioners and their, their people, and uh, they need that encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, I thank you and... Uh, the chaplains with Nursing Home Ministry for your faithfulness and reaching out to those who are on the edge of eternity, the the phrase that you coined in in view of the senior community, offering them life and peace uh, in this very challenging time. And I certainly will remember you in prayer, as well as other chaplains and those to to whom you minister. Thank you so much. Thank you, Georgine, for this opportunity, and the Lord bless you as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. New numbers in for the state of Oregon. Six new deaths, 82 new cases. More on that shortly. A severe storm system in the United States may bring a gust of wind that could threaten tent hospitals that have been set up in the fight against the coronavirus across the country. The National Weather Service Storm Prediction Center said that damaged winds gusts may happen around midday today in Washington, D.C. and in New York in the metro areas. While another batch of severe weather may target parts of Texas, impacting some 70 million people. Meanwhile, a $250 billion urgent request to shore up a depleting small business fund failed to pass in the Senate today after Democrats objected to the measure pushed by the White House and the secretary, rather the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Well, this development came with news that the number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits swelled to 6.6 million last week, surging from the third consecutive week. But the Federal Reserve arguably overshadowed the grim news by rolling out a $2.3 trillion lending program to households and businesses, prompting a surge in U.S. equity markets. The U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams told Fox and Friends that Americans must continue to follow the guidelines from the CDC and the White House on coronavirus for the country to be able to safely reopen business. Still, a new study says that despite stay-at-home measures being successful in flattening the curve of the pandemic, any easing of restrictions could be counterintuitive prior to a vaccine being discovered. And an American sailor on board the coronavirus-stricken aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt is in ICU at a military hospital in Guam. The sailor, who was tested positive for COVID-19 last month, was reportedly found unresponsive while in isolation. The number of sailors infected, meanwhile, has spiked 45 percent since Wednesday. Navy officials say 416 sailors aboard the Theodore Roosevelt have now tested positive for COVID-19. Nonetheless, the Cook County Jail in Chicago is now considering the top American hotspot coronavirus cases, exceeding the number of infections recorded aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt, a containment zone in uh, New Rochelle, New York, and a nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, according to reports. Americans should take some lessons to heart after the coronavirus crisis passes. Dr. Anthony Fauci, a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, told the Wall Street Journal, two of them are washing your hands compulsively and never shake anyone's hand again. Amazon CEO and founder Jeff Bezos made a visit to an Amazon fulfillment center and a Whole Foods supermarket to thank the company's employees for their hard work on the front lines of the global uh, the, of the globe, as it, rather as it deals with the coronavirus pandemic. And an additional $600 per week in unemployment benefits has started going out as part of the coronavirus relief bill passed in March. Multiple California counties are having trouble securing enough ventilators to handle an anticipated surge in the virus cases in their hospitals later this month, according to Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, by the way, Newsom ships hundreds of ventilators around the country. They're going to need them back there in California, it seems. And America Together, the 150-foot-long Noah's Ark exhibit, 40 miles south of Cincinnati, was lit up with green lights after Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir. Uh, called for the Kentuckians to unite against the coronavirus and show compassion. Well, here in Oregon, as I mentioned earlier, the state confirmed this week that the new coronavirus has spread to at least 34 senior care homes throughout Oregon, and nearly 90 homes are under investigation for possible cases. But the Oregon Department of Health and Human Services still has not provided basic information that could alert the public about the extent of the exposure, so families and others who need to know 
and protect residents and themselves. The department has not revealed individual counts as residents and caregivers, um, uh, so that is still holding. Agency officials have cited confidentiality concerns, but many private nursing homes release the information on their own. Without the disclosures, major outbreaks at homes such as Laurelhurst Village in Portland with at least 29 sick staff and residents would remain unknown. And in the past three weeks alone, one in eight Oregon workers lost their jobs, according to new data out Thursday. The latest illustration of the state's economic devastation amid the virus outbreak. Jobless claims have been running at record levels since the middle of March as Oregon hunkered down to contain the spread of the coronavirus. There is growing evidence that the shutdown has uh, sharply reduced the spread of the virus, potentially saving thousands of lives. But it has come at a profound economic cost. The state fielded a record 100,700 claims last week, up from record levels in each of the prior two weeks. Altogether, the state has received nearly 270,000 claims in the past three weeks, equivalent to a 13.4 percent of all jobs in the state of Oregon. By comparison, Oregon suffered fewer than 150,000 job losses throughout the Great Recession. That gives you some uh, perspective. Restaurants, bars, retail shops were the first to close, and that's uh, uh, where jobs, uh, jobless claims first spiked last month. The latest numbers show the cataclysm is spreading to all parts of the economy. And the state of Washington's 250-bed field hospital is going to be dismantled and sent to state's worst hit in the coronavirus pandemic. The massive Army field hospital that hundreds of troops built inside a Seattle convention center last week will be dismantled and redeployed to a state facing a more difficult challenge. Nearly 300 soldiers from Fort Carson, Colorado and Joint Base Lewis-McChord near Tacoma, Washington, built the makeshift facility inside Century League Field uh, Event Center, normally home to the NFL Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Sounders. The facility housed 250 beds, a lab, x-ray machine, um, machines, plural, surgery facilities, and an intensive care unit. But Washington's early action to limit the spread of COVID-19 has helped the state to slow the disease's infection rate and allowed hospitals to maintain the capacity to support a surge of patients, according to Governor Inslee in a statement. These soldiers uprooted their lives to help Washingtonians when we needed them most, Inslee said. Since then, it's become apparent that other states need them more than we do. It's only right that we release this capability so that other states um, have the tools necessary to help end this nationwide fight that we are all battling together. And U.S. researchers have opened another safety test of an experimental COVID-19 vaccine, this one using a skin-deep shot instead of the usual deeper jab. The pinch should feel like a simple skin test, a researcher told a volunteer lying on the exam table in Kansas City, Missouri, on Wednesday. It's the most important trial that we've ever done, says Dr. John Irvin of the Center for Pharmaceutical Research, speaking to the Associated Press. People are beating down the door to get into this trial. Well, the experiment using a vaccine candidate developed in Envio Pharmaceuticals is part of a global hunt for much-needed protection against the virus that's triggered an economic shutdown and forced people indoors as countries try to stem the spread. A different vaccine candidate began safely testing, or rather safety testing, in people uh, last month in Seattle, one developed by the U.S. National Institutes of Health. About two-thirds of that study's participants have gotten the first of two needed doses. NVO's study is set to test two doses of its vaccine, coded INO4800, in 40 healthy volunteers in the Kansas City Research Lab at the University of Pennsylvania. 
NBO is uh, working with Chinese researchers to also begin a similar study in that country soon. So every effort is being made to try to resolve this issue through pharmaceuticals, and um, we'll continue to follow whether or not that progress is acceptable. Now, all of us are hunkered down. We are sheltering in place and dutifully not only taking our own interests into account, but the interests of our neighbors, and that's the right thing to do. But while you're hunkered down, there's all kinds of uh, options available to you, how you spend your time, what you fill your mind with. And I'd like to encourage you to consider something that I think all of us need to see. It is the documentary No Safe Spaces. Now, No Safe Spaces was the number one political documentary of 2019, and now it's available to watch at home. It stars Dennis Prager and um, Adam Carolla. They uh, make you laugh, they make you cry, but most importantly, they make you think. No Safe Spaces has a 99% audience uh, rating at Rotten Tomatoes, which is the highest rating of any film last year. Now, you may wonder, why can't I find it on Hulu or Amazon or um, Netflix? Well, critics have called No Safe Spaces smart, vital, urgent, and one of the most important documentaries that you need to see today. Now, it illustrates um, how America is exceptional. It also shows how our foundational American values have come under attack and how we can fight back. It's a must-see for any American, young and old. You should see it together as a family and see it now. Now, you can't watch it, as I mentioned, on Netflix or Amazon Prime because, well, the political message is distasteful in Hollywood. But you can now see No Safe Spaces through the auspices of Salem Media. It's a sobering reminder that no matter who you are, if you think or say something that the radical left disagrees with, they will come to shut you down. They've made that effort. And Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla, they reveal how America is becoming a dangerous place to speak your mind and share ideas by doing just that, speaking their mind and sharing ideas that we need to consider now. So let me tell you what you need to do. Go to nosafespaces.com. We have a 25% discount for KPDQ listeners, so... Um, add the discount code SAVE25 and watch it today. NoSafeSpaces.com. It's a must-see. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. Okay, we're not wrapping things up in this segment. We'll postpone that till the next segment. But a couple of things I did want to mention since we have the time. Faith over fear. This is an actual campaign. It's featuring crosses with the uh, Christmas lights in yards spread all across the nation, a faith over fear charitable effort where people are putting crosses wrapped in Christmas lights in their yards during the COVID-19 crisis is spreading all across the nation. Some have misinterpreted what it's all about, but in an effort that appears to have its origin at an evangelical church in Byron, Georgia, locals there have been selling wooden crosses in order to raise money to buy snacks for medical staff at local hospitals. Well, since many are presently unable to attend church due to the state of government bans on large gatherings or gatherings of any size, some are placing crosses in their yards with Christmas lights or shining spotlights on the crosses. Well, Christian radio host and commentator Eric Erickson explained several of um, Erickson's neighbors in his neighborhood did this in their yards. Well, when Erickson bought one and put it in his yard after wrapping it in Christmas lights, which he posted on Instagram, Newsweek published a story based off the uh, commentators who suggested that the illuminated cross was a burning cross like what the Ku Klux Klan members used to place in yards in order to terrorize black people in decades past. Now, you would take the mainstream media to go from one effort during a pandemic 
and interpret it in the worst possible light. Well, commenting on the Newsweek story, and Internet trolls were accusing him of burning crosses on his lawn. What is true uh, right now is that Christians need to, uh, to be the light. We should be way more focused on the resurrection, even outside Easter and not just on Sundays. And we should be willing to extend grace even when it isn't returned to us. That was his response to the big misunderstanding, which seemed to me was somewhat deliberate. Well, the placing of Christmas or Christian crosses in yards has extended beyond Georgia now. And by the way, the African-American community in Georgia was not complaining. This was the media's idea. I think placing these crosses in our yards just has kind of given us something to take our minds off of everything and to put our minds and center our minds on God. Crosses lit up with spotlights. Some people have made crosses with their porch posts, uh, says a resident at Hart County in Kentucky in an interview with ABC. Of course, they're interested in the story because of the the potential of misunderstanding, which they themselves uh, came up with. Uh, Anyway, Gibbons started a Facebook group called Faith Over Fear, which had approximately 1,500 members as of Saturday. She reportedly got the idea to place uh, crosses in yards to symbolize faith over fear from a pastor friend in Georgia. There's even a guy that shared he has a cross on the front of his semi-truck because that's uh, his main home. Well, the Faith Over Fears Crosses in Middle Georgia uh, Facebook page has several thousand members now. Similarly themed pages have been set up by others in Arkansas, Louisiana, Jefferson County in Kentucky, and so forth. So if you hear about that, it's precisely what um, you would expect. It's Faith Over Fear and the Cross during the Easter season, which apparently did not occur to the media outlets. Well, there are many plagues in the Bible, comparable in many ways to the plague of the coronavirus the world is dealing with today. On Wednesday night, Jews around the world began celebrating Passover. It's a holiday that includes a focus on the ten plagues inflicted on the ancient Egyptians by God, leading ultimately to the liberation of the Israelites from slavery. Well, the ancient plagues included changing water to blood, frogs, insects, wild animals, pestilence of livestock, boils, hailstorms, locusts, darkness, and finally, death of the firstborn. So this particular plague that we're facing doesn't seem quite so bad. During the Passover seders, Jewish uh, Jews remember these uh, plagues by pouring out a drop of wine for each one. Well, on Wednesday night on the first seder, um, the ten plagues were commemorated in the way that uh, the seder is specifically charged to do so, to remember what God may afflict on all of us with plagues at any time, including right now. Well, the current plagues of the coronavirus ironically enough, is being combated with ancient measures that were once used to fight biblical plagues, including social isolation, sheltering in place, and these techniques appear to be slowly working, combined with hand-washing, disinfecting, social distancing when out in public. We must care for our elderly, treat their social isolation with delivered food, good cheer, plenty of phone calls, FaceTime, virtual seders, and so on for the Jewish community. And whether this brave new world will be enough to defeat the coronavirus plague has a lot to do with the virus itself, the heroics of our healthcare workers, and the biotechnology of testing, and most of all, the intention of the Almighty. We should pray for the rapid ending of the new coronavirus plague and for our freedom from it. It is humbling to realize that despite all of our best intentions and scientific know-how, our best bet is uh, to bond together, to work towards a shared public health solution while bowing to the will of God in humility. Such is the lesson of this year's first Seder, peace and good health to all. So Passover began for the Jewish community on Wednesday. Well, today for us is Maundy Thursday. A good Friday we're familiar with, and Easter Sunday, of course. 
But what Monday Thursday is, is often, well, lost in some faith traditions. Well, Monday Thursday is the Thursday before Easter. It's believed to be the day when Jesus celebrated his final Passover with his disciples. Most notably, that Passover meal was when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples in an extraordinary display of humility. And he then commanded them to do the same for each other. And that perhaps is the biggest lesson for us on Monday, Thursday in the 21st century. While his mandate is commemorated on Monday, Thursday, Monday being a shortened form of the Latin word ma- uh, manditum, or something like that, which means command. It was on the Thursday of Christ's final week before being crucified and resurrected that he said his commandment to his disciples. Jesus and his disciples had just shared what was known as the Last Supper, and he was washing their feet when he stated in John 13:34, we read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Well, for the one thing, it raised the definition of love to a whole new and higher standard. Jesus sacrificially met his followers' deepest need, that of new spiritual life and the forgiveness of sins. He even loved his enemies, and he calls us to show that love to those who, well, don't appear to deserve it from our vantage point. Just as Jesus loved sinners to the end or to the max, when he was uh, had nothing to gain from them, so we are called to do the same. Well, the Bible says that there was nothing attractive about sinful mankind, that means you and me, that drew him to love us. God loved us while we were yet sinners. Salvation is not only a wonderful gift that protects us from the penalty of sin, the sin that we and the penalty that we deserve, but Romans 6.23 points out the work of Christ also imbues new life, grants spiritual strength, and motivates godly action in those who believe. These are capacities that we cannot have apart from Christ and did not have before coming to faith in him. Titus 2, 11 through 14 reminds us and says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And while scripture doesn't forbid us to commemorate days like Maundy Thursday, the main question is, are we observing Christ's new command to love, to love in extraordinary and radical ways, especially those who deserve it least? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Well, lots of churches observe Monday Thursday with a communion service and a foot-washing ceremony, and these traditions help Christians and have for millennia uh, reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and his commandment for us to love and to serve others. So on this Maundy Thursday, our attention is focused on his love for us, the sacrifice he made for us and on our behalf, and that we are called to extend that to others. Some Bible verses that might help us better understand and apply that. Luke, this 22nd chapter, verse 27 through 38. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it 
and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then again in John 13, beginning with verse 2, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And finally, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Maundy Thursday, something to think about. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment, and we really will wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show for our final segment. Well, I can hardly believe that we are facing an Easter without going to church. We won't be sitting shoulder to shoulder in pews all across the uh, states of Oregon and Washington, worshiping together in close proximity to one another. But we have uh, decided out of love and concern for others that we are not going to do that. Uh, And I'm so grateful that there are opportunities for us to fellowship in other more creative ways. Uh, The technology that so often we look to as undermining the values and the principles that we (laughs) uphold is now a resource that we can use to reach more people than most of our churches would on any given Easter Sunday morning. So I'm grateful for that. If you are not a member of a church, or if you'd like to see if your church is going to be live streaming, I want to let you know that you can go to kpdq.com and go to the community events page. Um, Due to the pandemic, we've created a new church service live streaming page at kpdq.com with broadcasts of local church services. You'll be able to dive into God's Word and worship from home with local live streams. So check that out again at kpdq.com. Go to community events. You'll find a list of local churches with links to their broadcasts. That's kpdq.com, community events. And then we also want to encourage you to consider Southwest Bible Live. Again, in response to our current health restrictions, Pastor Scott Gilchrist of Downtown Bible Class And Senior Pastor at Southwest Bible Church invites you to attend Southwest Bible Live Sunday morning at 10. Now, certainly that's the case for Easter Sunday morning, but that will continue through this pandemic. And even if you uh, can't meet at church in person, you can still worship and study God's Word together. And if you don't quite know where to go, consider downtown uh, Bible class teacher, Pastor Scott Gilchrist with Southwest Bible Live. That's 10 o'clock on our AM station, True Talk 800. So that's 800 on your AM dial. Listen at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, You can also go to the KPDQ app 
or online at truetalk800.com to watch a live stream video at southwestbible.org for Southwest Bible Live. So there are lots of options available to you to find a service that will minister to your heart as we reflect on the death, the burial, and Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to come up with creative ways to celebrate with my mom, and I think we certainly will watch one of these online services, but want to do something personal as well. So I'm looking forward to um, our getting together and maintaining appropriate social distancing, because that's important uh, in her case, but having the opportunity to worship together as well. I wanted to close this segment of today's program with the lyrics of a song that has been particularly meaningful to me, and I wish we could play it, but given our current uh, technical situation, we are somewhat limited. I I wish we had the uh, ability to communicate with one another, and I'd love to hear your thoughts during this season as well, but at this time, that's not uh, a possibility. But this song is simply titled, He Giveth More Grace. It's a, a popular hymn. Annie Johnson Flint wrote the lyrics, and Uh, It was set to music and may be familiar to some of you, but it's one of my uh, favorites. And it simply says, um, says this, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy needed shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resource to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I want to read that uh, that chorus one more time because I think it just ministers so to my heart, and I hope it will you as well. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And as you spend time virtually in fellowship with other believers and worship and hearing his word proclaimed, don't forget those who cannot. Maybe a family member in a nursing home, maybe someone you know who doesn't have the technology to enjoy one of these live stream services. I'm reminded of John Schneider with Nursing Home Ministries. Reach out to those who will be so encouraged just to hear from you. And uh, we all together can celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so looking forward to that, even under these, well, unusual circumstances. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program. Thank Clark Hilton for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. And I'll say it even before it's appropriate. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.